Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I live, work and create, the Kumbameri people of the Yungumbe Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Hello and welcome to A Nourish Woman, the podcast. I am your host, Mika Ray. This is a conversational series created to guide women towards a more true, whole, fulfilling and joyful way of living. Together with some truly incredible guests, we embrace what connects us to our vitality and some of the ways that we can nourish our minds, bodies and soul. A Nourish Woman represents a return to wholeness and reclamation of our innate wisdom, our body's intelligence, our appetite for life and our capacity for joy, play and pleasure. It's about moving beyond mere survival and embodying a nourishing and generative mode of living that is aligned with our values, our energy, our desires, and honors the season of life we are in. Thank you for being here. Enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by Brittany Wilde. Britt is a mother to three beautiful little girls that are the priority of her life. She is also the founder of Elite Mind Co, a brain health practitioner and high performance coach. Brit helps people build healthy brains, strong bodies and clear visions so they can live the life they want to live and be the person they want to be. Brit believes there is literally nothing in your life that you are able to change without first changing something in your brain. The way our brains work and feed information to the mind is the basis of every behavior, action, thought, feeling, and idea we have. When we master our brain, we master our life. Everyone needs to know how to manage and optimize the brilliance of their own brain. In this liberating episode, we cover navigating business shifts and initiations, how to hold faith during the messiness of transition, the toolkit we can draw on to resource ourselves during times of change, combating wellness talk around the responsibilities of motherhood, enduring through discomfort when we don't see immediate success, why Brit doesn't believe in self-sabotage or imposter syndrome, this is a juicy one, and Brittany's version of holistic success. I have followed Brit's work for the last couple of years now, and just recently we connected obviously because we were recording the podcast. But we also connected on something really important that we didn't get to discuss in this episode, which is audacious goals. Britt and I share a very audacious goal to compete in a master's games for sprinting, which is both something we did when we were younger. And off the back of this audacious goal, we've developed a friendship and we are now training buddies and well on our way to achieving this goal. It has felt like a homecoming for both of us. So watch this space. Britt, the first question I have for you is, how would you describe the current season of life you're in? What an amazing question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. (laughs) I would describe the next season, well, this season, in such a cliched way that I apologize in advance. 
which is that I really feel like I'm in an expansion at the mm. moment. I, I do feel that I'm right at the beginning of a new season. I feel like I'm I'm wading through <laughs> some new areas of my life and I really feel like I'm on the precipice of some major growth and expansion. So it feels really exciting mm. around this place. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Um, so I've kind of followed along with a bit of your journey just purely through social media over the last few yes. years. And I feel like you've initiated and experienced quite a lot of shifts and changes and expansion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, moving from New Zealand and then a big move from WA to Queensland, you know, those are like mm-hmm. the physical moves. Um, yeah. but also shifts in your business, which we'll get into kind of the most recent one now, um, later on, but how, how have you navigated all of these shifts and initiations and maybe like, what were the catalysts as well? I'm really interested to know. Mm. Um, the catalysts have been what has worked, isn't working anymore. Mm. You know, it's like, everything is awesome until it isn't and everything works until it doesn't Mm -hmm. and everything is exciting until it isn't anymore. And Mm -hmm. so I think when I get to that place where all of what has felt exciting and interesting and challenging and like I'm really working on something, like as soon as it stops feeling like a project Mm -hmm. and as soon as it stops feeling like it's taking me and my family closer and deeper into our values, it is always a huge sign to me that things need to change. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that I feel great during change. Like I'm someone who really enjoys it in that, like I will, I I will catalyze it myself. Mm -hmm. I will create it. It's, it's often a voluntary self-generated kind of change. Um, but there are certainly parts of it. And there's this book that I'm currently reading by Bruce Fuller, Fuller, I think, and it's called life is in the transitions. And he speaks about the long goodbye, the messy middle and new beginnings. Mm -hmm. And I think I thrive in the messy middle. I think I thrive in the new beginnings. I feel like the long goodbye is really hard for me. And it's just like the Mm -hmm. one thing that I find really challenging, which is that something often has to die or something new to be born. And Mm -hmm that can be really challenging. So like leaving New Zealand, I was so excited when my sights were set on the move because it gave me something to work on and to focus my attention on. And then when I arrived in Perth from New Zealand, for example, I just had this huge come down because I realized that I was actually saying goodbye to New Zealand and I was saying goodbye to what was there. And so I mean, it's messy, right? It's messy. How have I navigated it? Messily, <laughs> um, chaotically. I'm I'm an incredibly organized person. I know how to execute a project. I know how to be in the messy middle. I know how to be gracious with myself. Um, I know how to feel big feelings that come up. I really struggle to say goodbye to things. Um, I, I really struggle to accept that with new beginnings uh, comes big, long, sad goodbyes. And so I guess it's been a big combination of all of those things. Mm. Catalysts have just been, it stopped working. And am I content with it the way it is or has it stopped working? And now I'm getting to a tension point or a friction point, which is inviting me to change because I think there's a big difference. Um, And then navigating it usually by setting my sights on the new beginning and 
navigating the messy middle, um, the bit that's hard is the long goodbye for me. Yeah. And I suppose with that, is it just a process of kind of just moving through it, you know, almost yeah. like, a, like the way you would move through, move through or with grief? A hundred percent. It's a grieving. Yeah. I, I do feel like there gets to a point of acceptance. And I think that tipping point for me is when I start finding joy in the new beginning, mm. I start, you know, it's like in hindsight, you recognize all oh, that really needed to happen. And I think when you get to that point of understanding how and why it happened, you can come into a place of acceptance and you can almost grieve and accept and yeah. contain what has been and so that you can actually move on. I think when you're in the messy middle and you don't have the the gift of perspective or you don't have the gift of hindsight, it's yeah. really hard to understand the discomfort and the pain of a long goodbye. Mm. You know, like when you're in the thick of it and you're like, well, I don't know what the new beginning is yet. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just know the old thing isn't working and you're in that that's so hard. Yeah. So I quite enjoy getting to that new beginning, even if it's risky, you know, mm. even if you've got a lot to lose, you feel as though, okay, but I'm here now and yeah. I've said goodbye and I have hindsight and perspective and I understand why all that happened. And you can kind of just, you know, I, I, I guess this is the part that I do well, which is just put your foot down and hit the accelerator. Mm. And that feels more comfortable to me than, you know, being in the process of grief, which is not pretty. Mm. Yeah. Or or just accepting the way things are and continuing on without actually making any significant changes. Totally. Yeah. That messy yeah. middle and the unsteadiness that can come from that. Because I would say I'm definitely a person myself who loves a new, <laughs> loves a new beginning. Um <laughs> And at times I have struggled with the goodbye, but I definitely mm -hmm. have found over the years a lot of unsteadiness in the messy middle. And, of course, like yeah. hindsight, yeah, I mean, it's the best thing ever um, because then we get to see what it is we've gained um, instead of focusing on what it might be that we've lost. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the messy middle is interesting too because I think if you've been in the messy middle enough, you kind of have this trust or faith in the process yeah. that it's taking you to those amazing new beginnings. Whereas yeah. I think when you haven't done that a lot and you're in, you know, your first major messy middle or your yeah. fifth major messy middle, it's really destabilizing and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's really displacing. And I think, you know, you love a new beginning. So you've probably catalyzed a lot of your own messy middles similarly. Yep. I relate. <laughs> Um, and I think when you've done it a lot, there's like a faith or a trust in that middle process that probably a lot of people find really discombobulating. Yeah. I think sometimes when you love a new beginning and you just like your all systems go in that direction, you kind of forget that there's these things yeah. that you're leaving behind. And it's that when you're like, oh, 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 hang on. <laughs> I've actually yeah. just let a lot go as well. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah, I feel that. Mm. Yeah, I definitely, that's definitely true. And I suppose it's like, <laughs> You're building a tolerance, you know, um, for these things because <laughs> because ultimately, even if you don't necessarily catalyze a new beginning yourself, you know, life does what life does and will thrust you into them regardless. 100%. Yep. Yeah. And so having that kind of tolerance um, and resilience for that is definitely helpful. 
Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be voluntary or it's going to be involuntary, but it's going to yeah. happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. This is evolution. This is what we're here for. That's um, it. So I would love to know because I do, I like to think of, um, like when I think of a nourished woman, I think of, you know, a, a woman with a bit of a toolkit of resources that she can call on. And so while we're speaking about change um, and navigating change in hard times and when life lifes, what <laughs> what do you think a woman or just anyone actually needs to have within their kind of toolkit to navigate these things like the messy middle? I think that the, the number one skill you need to have is self-trust. Mm. Like that's, that's the first piece. And that doesn't come by doing a set of practices and building it. It comes by going through enough messy middles that you can trust that what's on the other side is for you. So it's one of those things. It's like <laughs> the, the trust doesn't come first. Mm-hmm. It comes second. So I think that, um, good people, good yeah. people. I don't think you need lots of people. I think you need a few mm-hmm. and it's those people that you can, unburden yourself to that are not going to pick up the burden but Mm. they're going to receive it and they're going to hear it and they're going to really be there for you in a way that is so supportive they trust you they're not going to fix it for you they're not going to try Mm. and solve it for you they're just going to be there and they're going to hear you so I think that's probably the 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 biggest well maybe the second biggest after self-trust that you need in your toolkit um third I would say anchoring habits and practices that connect you to your ideal self. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the propensities we have when life gets really hard is to drop our bundle Mm. and to just relinquish or let go of anything that gives us a sense of certainty. And, you know, and I always give this analogy of when you're thrashing down the river of life, all we want is a hand to fling out from the shore and pull us up onto it. And sometimes you got to just flow down the stream, but Mm -hmm. the things that can be your life raft, the things that can be your flotation devices, you do that are your anchoring practices that help you feel like yourself. And for me, that's nourishing food. It's a solid training regime, physical movement. It's challenging myself mentally and intellectually it's connection. So I think those anchoring habits and practices are right up there with things that you need when you're navigating change. It's like throughout the change, what makes life predictable Mm. throughout uncertainty? What is the riverbank that you're going to reach for? Or what is the flotation device that you're going to kind of strap to yourself while you thrash down and while you're having no idea? Yeah. So they're probably the top three. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're absolutely key. Um, One thing you touched on there with the people Mm. and not necessarily, you know, needing a large number of people but just perhaps the right people or the right people for the particular season you're in. And I know that you've spoken about this before. I think it might have been on one of your um, podcast episodes Mm -hmm. about, you know, the village but the village (laughs) exhausted (laughs) themselves, overwhelmed themselves. (laughs) And I like had a little giggle because it's true. It's It's very true. true. I think, you know, like I'm someone who's previously identified as, you know, someone who's really kind of self-insulated, you know, like I won't bother that person with my, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, because they're already got, you know, a gazillion things going on. And um, 
Yeah, and it just when you said that, it made it just it was very relatable for one, and I think a lot of people listening <laughs> can definitely relate. Um, but what I love about what you just said, when it comes to you know what you think is key, is just somebody essentially being able to you know hold space and hear you and just kind of yeah, just just be an ear and to not necessarily mm-hmm. fix things. I think we, I don't know, perhaps this is quite broad, but you know, I feel like women are you know, condition to fix, to help, to solve. And yeah, even myself, it's, you know, been honestly like something I've had to learn, I think, is like just being there for someone as opposed to feeling like I need to fix or give advice or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So it just made me think of when you mentioned, you know, that everyone's exhausted. It's like, well, if perhaps if we just took the pressure off ourselves and we just listened and held space, that that might just be enough. Yeah, like your friend's problems are things that you can hear and things that you can receive and things that you can hold space for and you yeah. can say, is there anything I can do for you or do you really just need to to share this with me? Yeah. And I would say 99% of the time people just want to say it. Yeah. They don't even want you to do anything. I actually spoke to my husband about this the other night and I said, I'm going to let you know anytime I need to do a mm. conscious rant where I am going to use language that may be offensive and you're just going to have to sit there and it's not directed at you it's just about life and things that are frustrating me and it's and as soon as I've finished you have permission to completely forget it pretend I never said it I just need you to hold the space and hear Mm -hmm. me while I do it and he was like yeah I can do that. Most of the time, that's all we really want. We want to just be able Mm. to like unburden ourselves from the frustrations that we're feeling that we haven't been able to do anything with. And we just want a place to put that. And we don't want anyone to do anything with it. In fact, most Mm. of the time we would really not like it if anyone did anything with it. And I think sometimes with our friends, with our spouse, it's nice to just say, ah, today has actually been a bit fucked and here's why. Yeah. I feel good now. Yeah. Like I feel good now. And then you just close that portal and you're not going to sit in complaint. You just want to unload it. Mm. And I think, you know, we're taught to kind of stifle that and, you know, it's not appropriate or, you know, mm. take responsibility for your own emotions. And a lot of the time, the way that people perceive that I think is to just shut it down. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Actually, you know, the kids have driven me nuts and I haven't got all my work finished and I haven't been able to get outside for some exercise and I just feel frustrated and you just get it out and then you close the lid on it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, often when I do that, I will preface it by saying, I got to get some stuff off my chest. Don't do anything with it. Yeah. I just got to say it. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's, it feels really healthy for me. Mm. Yeah. It looks like a release. Yeah. God. It's a release. It's a release. Yeah. Yeah. And we need those. Um, I wanted to talk to you and you just kind of mentioned the kids then you wrote, Mm -hmm. I think honestly, like one of my favorite pieces of your writing was the piece you wrote on the mother load. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt like it was so honest and so beautifully written and like quite piercing, like it landed in a different Mm -hmm. way than, yeah. And I just really appreciate it. I feel like a lot of people, probably a lot of women felt the same way. Um, and the one thing I wanted to talk to you about from that particular piece, which I urge everyone to go and read, is um, the part where you wrote about it is listening to another person tell us to prioritize ourselves over our children. Because we hear this, I feel like we hear this a little bit more. At, I seem to see it a lot more now. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, and to continue on with what you said and the hundreds of things we, we know that they don't know what that actually means. Mm. And yeah, it just, it really felt true for me. So I would love you to kind of expand on your thought with that. Yeah. Well, thank you, firstly. And what I meant by that is I think a lot of people that preach that are people that don't have children. Mm. And it's incredibly, or they're people who are sprouting a message that they've heard a million times before because someone cool once said that you need to come first. And I think if you ask every mother to look at her child when her child is upset and say that you matter too, go Mm. out the door, leave your child like that, go for a run, go take what you need. I don't think that there are going to be many mums who choose that. No. Because there is a deep, deep biological primal love Mm. that will trump card any need you have for yourself. And that's not something you can bypass by laying over some sort of personal development speak mm-hmm. and, and, and solve or heal. Mm. I think that this idea of the things that you know, and what I meant when I said that was the things that you know that maybe someone else doesn't know that's telling you to prioritize yourself is that every time you walk out the door when your child is upset or your child is saying, mama, 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 Mm. is that what you're choosing is not just yourself. You're choosing to leave your upset child. You're choosing to leave an imprint. You're choosing yeah. to pass that problem over to someone else when they are not the person that your child wants. Mm. You're, you're asking the dynamic to be disrupted. You're asking everyone else to hold your shit while you go take what you need and then to walk straight back into this. Mm. There's so much that people are asking us to do when they say prioritize yourself mm-hmm. that they will never understand until they're in that situation. Like sometimes, you know, my, my children have had a big week at school. They've got, you know, friendship stuff going on and mm-hmm. they're, you know, one of my girls right now is really, really sad that we're moving. Mm-hmm. Like two of her favorite people live in our street and she's so sad. So she comes home every day and she's been holding in all these emotions all day and then they're bursting out when she comes home. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the rhetoric that says prioritize yourself. And I think, but that's not the priority. Mm. And it's not to say martyr yourself is the opposite of that or is the alternative. Mm-hmm. It's that there's sometimes, most of the time, you're going to get what's left over. Yeah. You're going to catch the overflow. You're going to catch the bits that are left. And I think that it's just silly and it's maybe ignorant to think that mums can constantly put themselves first. Mm. It's just not how you're wired. And I often think about the wiring of the brain when I think about mums, and that is that during the process of pregnancy and especially during the process of birth, all of your neural pathways that were assigned and flagged as being I pathways, where you think of the self first, Mm -hmm. I want to go for a run today. I want to eat healthy food today. I want to have X amount of sleep. I want to be in bed by this time. I want to see my, all of those neural pathways essentially disintegrate and they turn into we pathways. 
Mm. When we start thinking about what is best for us, what do we need, you become a collective thinker. And it is ludicrous to still act like you are an I when you are a we. Mm. And so I suppose the whole piece was driven from this place of don't get on mum's cases for being exhausted Mm. and don't look at them as if what they're doing is not okay because it's what you will endure Mm. when you are a mum because of the love that you have. And I think it's a really incredible thing, but yeah, I guess that's what I meant by it was that there's a million things, you know, as a mum, you know, it's like, put your own oxygen mask on first. It's that whole approach. I don't know many people who were choosing that option when faced with the reality. Mm. I like it as a theory. Yeah. I like it as a theory, but you know, the other thing that mums know that a lot of other people don't know is that wherever you think your capacity is, you've probably got about 50 more, 50% Mm. more in the tank. Like we've just got more. Mm -hmm. You've just got more. Whenever you think you're broken, you're not, you've got more. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just something that mums know where you're just like, I'll just endure. Mm -hmm. And that's not all that motherhood is. Of course, there are moments Mm -hmm. and there are times where you are going to choose yourself when it's appropriate, when it's applicable, when it makes sense. Yeah. But you're going to make sure you've dotted a lot of I's and crossed a lot of T's before you do that because you're a collective Mm. thinker and that's just how you're wired now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you are someone I think who does, you know, obviously you do prioritize your health and well-being. And so I suppose I just want to, you know, because I think something that I've definitely experienced um, is the people-pleasing tendencies and and Mm. the martyrdom to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely don't think it's like from one extreme to the next. I think there is some kind of perhaps spectrum and mm-hmm. I like what you said about, you know, where it's applicable and where it's appropriate and where mm-hmm. possible, like how, how, is there a way it's probably, I, I suppose it's very individual, but is there a way that we can kind of identify when it's time or when it's appropriate or you know, and, and then when it is, because I know sometimes there's like that overwhelm of like, oh, okay, I've got this spare time for myself. I've carved out this time. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, okay, what do I do? Do I do, do I go and lie down, you know, for two hours? I know. Do I go and exercise? Do I read a book? Do I study something? Do I like, you know? I know. Yeah. I No, I totally get it. I guess it is really individual and I think it depends on the age of your children. I think it depends what your values are. I think yeah. it depends what your drive is. I, I think it, it's what you care about the most. I mean, mm. I'll speak from my own experience here, which is that, um, you know, my youngest has just turned two. We've just finished breastfeeding. Um, that felt like a really significant moment for us because mm. through that I gained a bit more sleep back. Um, I wasn't quite literally being drained. Um, yeah. And so... I started to feel a bit more robust in terms of my health. I did a gut protocol. I was like, okay, all of these things that I've been putting off because the time hasn't been appropriate because I've been breastfeeding Mm. and co-sleeping and doing all the things, Mm. I don't have those restraints anymore. And so I gained a little bit more robustness in that process. Then when I look at my values, I'm also looking at, well, my my top values are health, family, Mm -hmm. and curiosity. 
And so health is my number one value. Without it, you have nothing. You could take away everything else in my life. And if I still had my health, I could solve that problem. Yes. If you take away my health, I can't solve anything. So Mm -hmm. it's my number one value. And so with the free kind of allocation of new resources being like my time and my energy in a way, um, health felt like the obvious choice because what I really wanted to do is the healthier I am, the more robust I am, the less time I spend being sick, being tired, mm. having to convince myself, getting through the procrastination, da, 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 like having a break for a coffee, you know? Yeah. The more I have my health sorted, the more everything else flows. Yeah. Um, so what was the question again? Like if, what, what did you say? What was the last bit? Well, it made me think of something else now. <laughs> like, how do we how do we know when the time yeah, is? And like, like I what suppose, to... and I think I think I kind of like have a. I feel like with a lot of these conversations I've been having, it's the self awareness is the key, and I yeah. think um, the so maybe like how we can cultivate that would be a wonderful thing to kind of segue into. But also, it's just like the first question I asked you is, what season are you in? You know, mm-hmm. acknowledging that constantly and knowing that that's constantly shifting constantly. Yeah. And yes. So something that I'm constantly talking about is anytime you're optimizing something, you have to de-optimize something else. Mm. Like, you know, when I've, I've de-optimized breastfeeding as in, I've essentially taken it away. I'm not doing the co-sleeping. Great. That means I have more resources to place here. Where do I want to place them? Great. The health stuff is, you know, front and center. Yeah. Um, and it feels appropriate because the cost is that it takes time away from my work and Mm. it only affects me. Mm. And so I'm happy to pay that cost. Mm. And I'm always looking at that. If I choose this, what's the trade-off? Am I happy with that trade-off? So, for example, if all my kids are home and I'm like, oh, you guys are so frustrating, I want to prioritize myself, and I leave them all and they're upset, they I've left an imprint. They feel dysregulated. Is that a cost I'm willing to pay to like take what I need? No, it's not. So I'm constantly assessing the, the cost of my choices as well as, you know, the long view as well. Am I Mm. willing to make other people uncomfortable for short periods of time for the sake of the long view? And sometimes I am, it depends on who, for how long, in which way, but it's this constant like balancing or harmonizing between where you're going and what you're choosing and Mm -hmm. why, what the cost is, what the trade-off is, and also what season you're in. I mean, sometimes you're not Mm -hmm. in an optimization season. Sometimes you are in a maintenance season, you know, and that's fine. I've just come out of a big maintenance season um, for probably two years while my youngest was, you know, on me (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I'm I'm literally just coming out of it. And because of that, Mm. there's all of these new resources that I'm creating for myself um, through an increase in health and a lot of other biomarkers. And I'm like, wow, I've got, I've got resources to play with. Like, this is good. I can do stuff with this. So yeah, it's season values, costs, trade-offs. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the like, no such thing as a free lunch thing. You know, <laughs> no one rides for free. <laughs> yeah. There is always a trade-off, but you know, I love that you said harmony because I was speaking to a friend even this morning about like just how much we despise the word balance. Um, <laughs> yeah. And 
So I was like, I feel like, and we were trying to come up with an alternative, but I feel like maybe that's it. Yeah, I use harmonizing because, you know, harmonizing isn't about equal splitting. Mm, yes. Sometimes it means like I'm in 90% growth, 10% maintenance. Sometimes yes. it's 50 50, sometimes it's 80 20. Like, I think, or it's, you know, 50 yeah. 30 20, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, really just had to check my maths. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's always those things. And I'm like, it's, it's a harmonizing of the whole orchestra. Yes. And it, it's, you know, some you have, are at, some have solos, some have, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, running a household and a family is almost like, you know, coordinating that orchestra. So it is. I think if you see all of the elements of of your life as, as if they're part of that orchestra. So it's like, you know, your mm. business or your work or your creative mm. projects or your personal projects and your health and your family and, you know, your children and your friends and all of the things that you're navigating are part of that orchestra. And it is a constant, like, yeah, it's time for your solo. And now, you know, you, yeah. you just sit down there and it's your turn and, you know, yeah. it's, it's always that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I love that so much. Um, I wanted to also speak to you about, you did share a post on this, but I remember you speaking into the kind of alignment culture and what, mm. and yeah, so I, I really want to speak about that. But then I also want to talk about um, the overcorrecting because you've mentioned that yes. before and that really, and I was just having a conversation with this, uh, about this with a friend last night as well. Like, and I think, you know, I have to admit when, when somebody, you know, reads or sees a nourished woman, I know that will automatically give them an idea of what that means, right? Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it's a very personal nuance. It's like what it means for you specifically. Mm -hmm. But when I think about it and I'm, you know, imagining just how much we've kind of, I feel like obviously we, we've gone from major hustle grind culture, which hasn't necessarily served us very well. Um, especially women. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've now come into what you describe so well as, you know, overcorrecting. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah. So I think that the personal development industry just does a number on us quite often. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't, like, I really love the personal development industry. I'm in it. I love it. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes like the general narrative can be a problem. Yeah. So firstly, it was the hustle culture, which we then decided wasn't working because mm -hmm. people stopped listening to their intuition. They stopped listening to their bodies. They stopped mm -hmm. reading the room. Mm -hmm. They stopped assessing the market and they stopped actually taking in subjective and objective, objective metrics to adjust the way that they were doing things. Right. Mm -hmm. And they just started going, it's hustle or bust. So we had this huge overcorrection then to the ease and flow and surrender game. Mm. And then it all became about feminine embodiment and feminine wisdom. And that took us in the complete other direction, which then we became averse to blood, sweat and tears. We became mm -hmm. terrified of, you know, going to our edges. We became terrified of pushing and every second person will tell you that they've had burnout. And you say, what is burnout? And they'll be like, um, I don't know. And so, mm. you know, we had this massive overcorrection, um, which we see heaps, you know, all the time in pretty much every space. So it's not just this space. Um, it, it's everywhere. 
but we had this huge overcorrection. And then it was like, if, if there's blood, sweat and tears, if there's moments of exhaustion, if there's, you know, an exertion of effort that feels taxing, mm-hmm. I'm going to take that as a sign of misalignment because mm-hmm. what's for me should feel natural, easy, magnetic, mm-hmm. simple, clear. Um, and I think that if you ask every person on the planet, if they feel completely clear and magnetic and easy and flowing and surrendered, they will say, absolutely not. No. So it's it, both are an illusion. You can't just mm-hmm. hustle. Yeah. You can't just flow. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it really got us in a bind because I, I actually think, I mean, both are equally as ineffective. Yeah. Right. Like when you hustle, at the cost of listening. And this mm-hmm. can even be listening for those who are like more pragmatic minded, stop listening to market trends, stop observing mm-hmm. buying patterns. Like if you're in business or something, like when yep. you stop doing those things and you stop being able to observe the way people are behaving and adjusting like your marketing and your mm-hmm. messaging, and you're going to have a problem, which is you're going to be barking up the wrong tree where there are no clients as mm-hmm. an example. And if you yep. go in the other direction, when you become so averse to hard work, and you pass it off as feminine embodiment, mm. you're never going to grow. Because I think, mm. you know, the, the symptoms that we've seen from that acute disease has been that people don't have businesses that are successful. Yeah, All of these people, and I'm, I'm speaking about business because obviously like what I've been observing yeah. mostly in, but I think people, or oh, you could even take exercise as a great example, we have all these people with businesses who are like feminine business, flow, surrender, ease, da 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 da. And then they'll also say to you, I've got a cash flow issue. Mm. I don't have any new clients. And mm-hmm. so it's not working. They just feel better and they feel better because they're comfortable. And that's a disease. Yeah. Comfort's a disease. Like if you stay in that place forever, it's it's a disease state. Yeah. Like when you think about living a sedentary lifestyle is in and of itself a disease state. It's the same when it comes to your drive. Mm. It's the same thing. Yep. It's a disease state. So my, my personal thought is that there has, there has to be a place where we come back into a state of equilibrium or harmony. We like that word. Yeah. We like harmony. <laughs> Coming back into a place of harmony, mm. which is that you have to know when you're unnecessarily hustling or you're making it harder than it needs to be for the sake of looking like you're doing big hard work. And you have to be aware of when you're choosing out of hard things Mm. because you're terrified of like going back into burnout or whatever. And, you know, when I, when I explain this to people, and I think this always kind of like blows a few minds, but when you think about what's required to create an adaptation, it is that you actually have to functionally overreach beyond your capacity. Yeah. And I, I always explain this in, in a gym setting because it makes the most sense to people. And then I'm just like, apply that to your life. So yeah. if I go to the gym and my max deadlift is hundred kilos and I go to the gym five times a week and I deadlift 70 kilos, am I going to be improving? No, I'm going to be de-optimizing or performing mm-hmm. at a suboptimal level. Yeah. Right. And it's the same if you're not willing to go to your edge because your edge is actually what you can do. Mm. It's actually just your maintenance level. 
Yeah. So if I can do a hundred kilos and I keep going and I do supporting exercises that help me get stronger and I hit that deadlift and I'm continuing to do a hundred kilos and I keep training at that until I see an adaptation where, oh, all of a sudden I can do more reps and I'm doing it with more ease. Great. I've adapted. Now I am able to functionally overreach again. And so you yeah. go through these phase, phases of like the project, which is the maintenance and you're working on the supporting um, elements mm-hmm. that are going to help you be better at that thing. And then you adapt and then you increase. And mm-hmm. I think people really forget that they actually need to be hitting their edges and they need to be hitting their capacity to have any sort of improvement. Yeah. And most people are sitting there saying, yeah, I want my life to improve. And they're terrified of their edge. Like they're genuinely terrified of getting anywhere near it. So they get 60% of the way to it and they say, that's enough because I don't want to burn out. And I yeah. think we'll get used to just suboptimally performing in every element of your life if you're not willing to get a little bit sweaty in the process. I mean, this is the thing, like, no, like this is, this is where the growth happens. You hear this from like, I feel like every expert or Everyone. anyone, anyone even who's, yeah, like more creatively inclined or has done anything with excellence, it's like, yeah, that is where the growth happens. Um, yes. And then it's like, okay, like if you look at, let's look at that exact example, but you apply it to like the hustle culture. Yeah. Hustle culture says, unless you're smashing deadlifts every single day at that same level, you know, it's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a problem because you will overtrain Mm -hmm. and then you will be underperforming because you'll have to start again Yeah, or you'll have to have big breaks. If you're doing 60 kilos when you could be doing 100, you're also not going to be performing well. Mm. Like there's a point where you're, you're harmonizing your training load. You're functionally overreaching one day. You're having a recovery day. Then you're doing some restorative practices and you're taking care of the recovery side of things. Maybe in your business, that's like getting your back end system set up. Mm-hmm. In your physical body, it's you're rolling out with a foam roller, you're hitting the sauna, or you're doing some cold plunging, or you're doing your stretching, you're getting a massage. The next day, you might be doing some cross training to make sure that you don't overtrain in one area then you're going back to the gym and you're trying to perform again like this this is this is the balance point and yeah. i think no one likes it because it's not prescriptive no people don't like how alert and attuned they have to be to their own lives mm. they want to be able to be like if i do this this and this no, then yeah. i'll be successful yeah. if yeah. i hit a b and c i will get d and it's like doesn't work like that Mm-mm. It doesn't work like that. So, yeah, I think it's like the, the, it's the constant assessing um, and awareness of your yeah. own life, which is simply a game of perception and it's a game mm-hmm. of observation and it's a game mm-hmm. of reflection. And, again, yeah. people don't want to do that. I get to the end of every day and I'll do a little recap of the things that I'm really proud of and I'll do mm-hmm. a little bit of a look at, like, where I fucked around, where I wasted time, where I, like, yeah. shouldn't have really done that thing. And I'm not saying don't ever do things that aren't productive because being unproductive is one of the most optimizing things that you can do when it's intentional and chosen and it's appropriate. Yeah. Agreed. You mentioned fear. Do you think there's anything else that stands in the way of, of people like optimizing their life or making a change, you know? I think Yeah. So, I mean, there's obviously the terror of getting close to their 
threshold mm-hmm. and that being uncomfortable and painful and we yeah. don't like the feeling because it's hard. Yeah. It's like if someone said go for a 20K run, like, you know, you're going to be in the hurt locker. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> people don't like it there. Um, I think that one of the things that really stops people from optimizing and pursuing the life that they really want is that if they give it everything and it doesn't work, they have nothing left. So they like to keep a few cards. Yeah. yeah. They like to they like to keep a few tricks up their sleeve. Yeah. Which which means it's like their their reserve. Mm. Which says, but if it gets really, really bad, I still have a few things that I can deploy. Yep. And that's great, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Because ultimately you're still in the exact same position as you were before. You just think you have tricks up your sleeve, but like deploy them now. Yeah. <laughs> Use yeah. them now. And yeah. and I always just think a life where you are incredibly aware and you fully accept and embrace exactly what is and you are under no illusions from yourself is the most honest way to live your life. And honest living is good living. So if, for example, you're someone who can't face your bank account, if you're someone who can't face the realities of your business, your health, your fitness, if you can't face those things and look at them and say, I'm not happy with that, that actually Mm -hmm. needs to evolve and change. And here are all of the tricks I have up my sleeve. The, The best thing ever is you will gain trust in yourself to pursue. And when it doesn't work, you'll know that you have to come up with another plan. And what you build in that is self-resourcefulness, mm. resilience. Like you're going to gain something anyway. Yeah. So you may as well deploy it all now. And the worst case scenario is that you don't get the result you want. You've got no tricks up your sleeve and you know what you'll do? You'll find a way if you want it bad enough. Mm. Like he who has a strong will to live will endure and tolerate anyhow. Yeah. It's like... I think if you want something bad enough, you'll figure out a way. And that is you'll turn to someone and be like, have you ever been through this before? You'll start getting mm. anecdotes. You'll start researching. Yeah. You'll find your way into like always. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. I think it's like the, it's the fear of if I go all in and it still doesn't work, then I'm a failure. It's just thinking that you're a failure. And I think the <laughs> the easiest way to move around that is accept that you absolutely will fail at something at some point. Yes. Yes. You're going to fuck up. You're going to fail. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> and the sooner you realize it and stop avoiding it and just embrace the fact that it's coming. Yeah. Regardless of what you do, mm-hmm. you'll either fail by not trying or you'll try and then you'll fail and you'll figure it out and you'll change it. Yeah. And like you said, there's always something to gain in that anyway. There's always something to gain. You just you don't know what it is yet and you won't. Exactly. Unless you give it a go. And um, then you'll be like doing the long goodbye and the messy middle and the new beginnings. Exactly. <laughs> um, with the another thing that you have spoken about, you kind of touched on it briefly, I think earlier was um, I'd love you to expand on the long game mindset because I think our, yeah. our current culture, you know, and I feel like definitely in these generations that are coming, it's kind of this we want it now it's the quick fix it's you know it's why we turn to you know certain ways of treating illness and things like that it's yeah Mm -hmm. we're wanting that kind of quick fix so I'd love for you to explain expand on your idea around the long game mindset yeah so the long game mindset (laughs) it was born from the exact things that you've said 
Yeah. I suppose I've been in a position where I've been um, doing a lot of like strategic business coaching for the last few years. And a lot of what I see is people coming in being like, I want this launch to go really well. I'm like, I want you to develop great launch principles and great launch skills Mm. so that every launch goes well. And it's, it's that perspective shift where it's like, yeah, but if, if this goes well, then everything will be good. It doesn't work like that. And we all know it, the Mm. instant gratification, the, um, the quick fixes are exactly what they sound like. They're quick fixes that have long ramifications. And so the long game mindset is essentially about, is this a sustainable practice that Mm. I would choose for myself for this personal project of wherever I'm deploying this and, and employing this um, tactic, yeah. is this something that will actually serve me in the long run? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my great examples of this is running. I know we both love running. We bond over <laughs> running. Um, but, you know, after having my youngest baby, I didn't run for, gosh, must have, like including the pregnancy and then the first probably year, it was, you know, nearly two years. And then I started to get back into it and every single run was hard. Mm. Every single, I know, you know, the feels every single run was hard. (laughs) Like every step hurt and my lungs felt like they were going to burst. I had no aerobic fitness essentially, um, which is a big fall from grace from someone who, you know, has essentially centered my whole life around this. Um, And the short game is I'm not seeing an improvement. Uh, this isn't giving me the results that I want, which is that I mm-hmm. want an endorphin high. I want mental health um, improvements yep. and clarity. I want to feel physically strong. I want to see that it's having an aesthetic improvement on, you know, in my physical body. I'm not seeing any of that. And I can honestly say to you, I saw negligible improvements for six months. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was just long hard. It was a slog. I knew I was building a foundation. I knew that it was doing things, but I could not see it and I could not feel it. And the long game mindset is there's going to come a time where I feel it. Mm. And the long game is staying the course for that. Yeah. Because the why is stronger than the how. Mm -hmm. How I have to get there is shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But why I want to get there really matters to me because mm. I know that there is this therapeutic threshold of running that I'm going to reach where I'm going to mm. receive all of the benefits mentally, cognitively, physically, aerobically, anaerobically. I know I'm going to feel it. I just, I've got to hold out until it comes. Yeah. It was six months where I started noticing that my minute minutes per kilometer started to just naturally increase, even though I felt like I was going the same speed. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm really noticing a difference where like my natural pace has come down about 30 seconds per yeah. kilometer. It's yeah. like, oh, this is good. Yeah. And I gotta say that that was like the start of exponential improvement. Mm-hmm. there was a huge compound effect because once I started noticing that benefit, then I was like, great, I've had an adaptation. Now I'm going to push it. Now I'm going to mm-hmm. see if I can do start doing some sprints. Now I'm going to add in some intervals. Now I'm going to add in some one kilometer time trials now. I'm, and it just, and it snowballed. And yeah. so the long game is if you're only going to do something to see an improvement, the first one to five times you do it, don't start. Mm. 
if you get results that quickly, it's probably not worth it. Or it's probably doing something with a big cost to you. Like all yeah. great things come through endurance. Yeah. And I think that we have really forgotten that. And it's why I like still reading books instead of just audiobooking everything. It's like there's yeah. something I get from that. And there's a training mm. that comes from that where it's the long game. Mm. And I, I don't ever want to lose the skill of being able to persist for the long game. I think it's going to be a really um, important skill and it's also going to be rare. Yeah. It is rare. It's rare yeah. that people stick at anything for long enough um, to see the impacts. And, I mean, just go onto social media and have a look at people saying, I tried that diet, it didn't work. I tried this exercise regime, it didn't work. I tried this business strategy, it didn't work. I tried this marketing strategy, it didn't work. Go everywhere you look. Every person you talk to, they'll tell you that they tried something and it didn't work. And I can guarantee you all of them would have given it less than 90 days. Yeah. There's just so few people who are willing to endure because we want a quick fix because we instantly want out of our own discomfort. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, it's like not even necessarily knowing what the benefit is going to be, you know, totally. Yeah. And not necessarily actually having an idea or the benefits being different to what you initially thought. But I suppose this is that like leap and land, you know, like yeah. you take the leap, maybe not necessarily knowing. And yeah, it's that persistence and the discipline and the commitment. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, I even speak sometimes to some of my clients who don't necessarily love, you know, some of the mundane tasks come with having a business and yes. you know getting in and reconciling their zero or whatever just to use <laughs> yeah and I'm like but it's a commitment to this thing that you're building it's yeah. this devotion to this thing that you're building you know and if you reframe it that way like you will there, there are going to be some benefits from that so I think it's like not yeah. knowing and going for it anyway yeah, one of the things that I actually put in my terms and conditions that I get people to tick and sign off on when they start working with me is, am I open to this surprising and delighting me in ways that I don't expect? Mm. And I think as soon as you open people's eyes to the fact that it's not just A plus B equals C, no. you might still get C, but you also might get D, E, F, and G. Yeah. And that's really exciting. Like yeah. when you improve your resistance training, are you open and willing for it to also improve your cognitive performance? Are you also mm -hmm. open to it improving your sex drive and your hormonal health? Mm -hmm. Are you also, you know, there's so many additional things that we forget in the long game that there, it's not like you're just enduring for no improvement. No, you're in, you're enduring for incremental micro improvements along the way yeah. and additional superfluous benefits that like you didn't even, that you didn't realize. even know were coming. And yeah. yeah, I think we forget that. We're just like, Oh, once I put in 12 months of work, like, Oh, it's such a long time. Like, but it's not Oh like God. it's zero. No, it's and then when you get to the end of the year, it's a hundred. It's like, you yeah. will still go from one tooth. Like you'll still see all of the improvement along the way. Mm. I mean, there's always something to gain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that actually the surprise and delight. That's mm. just, I honestly feel like that was, that would be something that would sell it to me, <laughs> but totally. I'm, someone like, I'm someone who does love to take a leap and not necessarily know what's on the other side. Me too. And be, and be surprised and delighted. <laughs> Yeah, I love yeah, a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the fun of life. 
Um, I wanted to talk to you about um, Elite Mind Co., which is your yeah. new brand business. It is. And I want to know, I've got a few questions in, you know, that I would love for us to get into, but um, what is the mission behind Elite Mind Co.? To create people with elite minds. <laughs> Perfect. Is that surprising? Um, <laughs> no. I want to, well, our kind of phrase is amplifying human potential mm. by shaping elite minds. And I guess it's mm. everything we're talking about. I want yeah. people with sharp minds, like no more of this, I tried it for three seconds and it didn't work for me, so I'm quitting. Like mm. no more of that. I think we're going to have a, I don't, I don't want to say generation because it's not a specific generation. It's I don't want to live as part of a collective who don't have sharp minds, who can't mm. persist, who aren't willing to do hard things, who do not have resilient and robust bodies. Like I, I want my kids growing up in a world where we have sharp, critical thinkers. We have intelligent, and I, and I don't just mean like book smart. I mean like no. emotionally intelligent, conceptually intelligent, perceptive, observant people. Mm. And I want my kids growing up in that. I want to live in that. Mm. I want to live in that. And I'm yeah. incredibly driven by shaping my own mind. I'm incredibly driven by putting myself to the test. And mm. I want to create a space where other people who think that's cool and awesome and fun want yeah. to do that too. So I guess the mission is how much better can it be? And let me help you figure it out. Figure it out. So, yeah. Yeah. Through, and it's, it's through health, like through health, yeah. you know, if, if you don't have it, you've got nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is high performance? Because I really love your explanation or what it, what it means within Elite Mind Co. Um, because I, I, I don't think it's, it is a little bit, maybe what people would initially think when they hear the words high performance, but it is more than that. So I would love to, for you to talk about it. Yeah. So I think the misconception with high performance is that you have to be like an elite athlete or mm-hmm. some sort of business rocket mogul scientist. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Business mogul. Yeah. Um, and ultimately it's how closely are you living to your values? Mm-hmm. Like if you have a set of values and you are pushed up right against them yeah. and that's your reality, then I would say you're pretty high performing. It means mm-hmm. you have values and you've curated a life, a mind, mm-hmm. a body and an existence where you're actually living them every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what it means to me to be high performing. It's that you are performing at your personal highest in the areas that matter to you most. And not everyone's going to have the same values as me. And so they're not going to pursue high performance in the same way that I would. Mm. And so I suppose when people hear it, it can be off-putting because they think, well, I'm not an elite athlete. Yeah, I'm not a business mogul. It's are you someone with values that would like to live them? Because Mm. if you are, then a high-performance life would be calling you. And I I have no time for people who don't want to pursue a high performance life. Mm. Truly, like when I really get down to it, I'm like, if you don't want one, it's going to be hard for us to connect. Like if you are not driven to live your best life, if you are not driven mm. to improve yourself and your experience of life and mm. to have deep, amazing relationships, if you're not driven by those things, you probably, you, you won't get anything out of the Elite Mind Co. <laughs> mm. um, 
but we probably won't connect as people either. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I guess that's what it means to me. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, we really sat with for a while about what actually is high performance. It's, and it's to know your values. Mm. It's to curate a life where you're in pursuit of the ultimate expression of those values. Mm-hmm. And then you're taking care of the day to day tasks, practices, beliefs, and mindsets that allow you to live out those values in real life. Mm. And it's like, it also makes me think of, you know, because there is a lot of talk about living in alignment with your values mm-hmm. that, I don't know, I'm not sure that, you know, there's a lot of talk and not necessarily a lot of action. So I'm kind <laughs> of assuming that when it comes to this, this is there's this action piece, you know, um, that yes. is key. <laughs> and, but it's like, it's, you know, it's living a life, what I think of, I think it's like living a life of like true meaning, you know, and we talk about purpose as if it always has to be something to do with our career mm-hmm. or, you know, what it is we do that, you know, generates income, a relevant amount of income for ourselves. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's like for me living on purpose and living a life of meaning is all of those things as well. Totally. I mean, meaning is what drives performance. Mm having a meaning behind the things that you're doing are the things that drive performance. And typically when people say, oh, I procrastinate, I'm like, it doesn't mean enough to you. Mm. Mm. So then what do you say to like self-sabotage, you know? I don't believe in self-sabotage. Yeah, interesting. I thought you might say that. <laughs> I don't I don't believe in it. I don't, I don't believe in imposter syndrome and I don't believe in no. self-sabotage. Um. They're just everyday things that everyone deals with that you just have to move through. I have such little tolerance for them. I have such little patience for them. I don't Mm. think there's a single person out there who's like, I want to blow my life up. No. I don't think there's a single person out there who wants to live a truly shit existence. No. And so do we have patterns that can be destructive? Yes. That's not a self-sabotage issue. That's a pattern decoding issue. Mm. And that's a behavioral change issue. That's Mm. an awareness issue. I don't believe in self-sabotage because it becomes this catch-all phrase that we use to offset any times we fuck up and don't pursue the things that we want. Mm. I think when people go, I didn't do everything I could have done because I was terrified of what would happen when I gave it my all, they will say, I sabotaged myself. and it is. It's tr- it's not honest. No, it doesn't require ownership and responsibility. Mm. And I'm a big fan of those things. <laughs> yes, yes, I do know that. I'm but, a big fan. But, but so am I. I think. Yeah. And I think honestly, you saying that like it's funny because I mean, not that long ago, I probably would have used the phrase self sabotage. I think. Mm. But yeah, but I really like what you said because I feel triggered, but in a good way. <laughs> Do you know what people don't like when I say it? I'm like, look, guys, I'm sorry. But no, I appreciate that. And like, honestly, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you because I think you just have such a a fresh, I don't know, perspective on all of this. I think a lot of people need to hear because this is how we, when we start reflecting on these things, that is when we do build the self-responsibility and self-honesty muscles, so to speak. Yes. 
we're actually thinking well, about things more. Exactly. And I'll say mm. what I said before, which is that an honest life is a good life. And yeah. saying, oh, I sabotaged myself is dishonest. It's yes. I actually didn't do the things I knew I needed to do to have a successful experience of whatever I was doing. Yeah. And when we can own that, we're in a better position to solve the problem because the next time we do it, we have the awareness. When we continue mm. offsetting our discomfort at facing the reality of life, mm. um, it and it's it's a euphemism, right? Yeah. We say self-sabotage, but what we really mean is I haven't taken full responsibility for the fact that I did not fully give my all to whatever it was that I wanted to experience or achieve. Mm. I don't like euphemisms. Yeah. <laughs> because I can't remember the guy that said it. Um, he's like, anytime we use euphemisms, it's um, basically it's code for not being able to face your reality. Mm. And I think that it's super true. And it's so self-sabotage for me is a euphemism. Imposter syndrome is a euphemism for saying, I compared myself to someone else and I'm not willing to take responsibility for the fact that she's in a completely different place than me because she's a different person with a different set of skills. Yes, I'm actually going to make it mean something about myself and I'm Mm. going to let my own mind spiral about it. And that's why I've got imposter syndrome. And now I'm going to say I'm scared to do it because I've got imposter syndrome. And until I've fixed my imposter syndrome, then I won't pursue it. And Mm. that's bullshit. Yeah. I do things with imposter syndrome all the time. Mm. Do I look at other people and I'm like, wow, she's really cool. She's fucking yeah. nailing life. Yes. Yeah. Do I let that stop me doing something? No, because no. the one way to guarantee mm. that I'll never have that or be that or do that is by not doing it. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I just think they're kind of ridiculous. Mm. It's, it's personal development speak for I'm not taking responsibility for my life. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, an excuse tied up in a nice boat. Tied up in a really pretty bow that everyone has empathy for. And I think that's, you know, it's like the overuse of empathy. It's not like, oh, you know, poor you. I'm like, no. (laughs) And it's not that I don't have empathy. I do in the right contexts, but I will not have it for someone who's not having a crack. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you didn't get the result you wanted. Did you leave every stone unturned? Like, Did you put it all out on the table? If you could do just Mm. one more thing, what would it be? Mm. Like, unless you are just like, I have exhausted every avenue. I gave it my all. There is without a shadow of a doubt, I've given it everything. Yeah. Because you know what? People who feel that don't feel imposter syndrome and they don't feel self-sabotage. Like when you've given it everything, have you self Like have you said, oh, I didn't get the result. It was self-sabotage. No, you said, I didn't get the result. Cause I just didn't get the result today. Yeah. It, there's acceptance that comes with fully giving it everything. You mm. accept the result because you know, you've given it everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so good. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I could have gone off into a million tangents with that, but I'll bring it back. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> um, I would love for you to give us a little bit of a, like a walkthrough to your foundational offering, Elite Baselines. Mm, um, yeah. yeah. And wh- and like why you've created it. Yeah. So Elite Baselines is kind of like our signature program that we've began the Elite Mind Co with. And it's a four-week experience to come in and learn high-performance habits. Mm. Uh, the reason I created it is because through – researching, studying, observing, assessing, 
and reflecting on all of the people, like the people around me that are having versions of success that I think are holistic and well-rounded, meaning mm-hmm. that they're, they're not just a business mogul. They're not just an elite athlete. Yeah. They're someone with great relationships who has drive, who has intelligence and emotional awareness and perspective. They're people who have, who take full responsibility of their lives. You know, they have like a very holistic sense of success. Mm-hmm. Um, they all share a specific set of behaviors habits, mindsets, beliefs, and actions that they do consistently, persistently, and repeatedly Mm. that creates an environment that is conducive to success. Yeah. And so after I did that and I have essentially either naturally already been doing those things or I've implemented more of them into my life and I've been doing it all year, Mm. um, I want to create a space where people can come and learn how to do that, where mm-hmm. you can come and learn to actually put yourself in a position where you have the greatest, highest potential of actually living a high-performance life, which goes mm-hmm. back to that original definition of living yes. pushed right up against your own personal values and what matters to you most, a life of meaning mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. And so the space was created because I care about those things. I want to be able to teach those things to other people. Uh, And I want to create an environment where people who are driven to live a high performance life can actually come together Mm. because how great does it feel when people who have really aligned values and really similar ways of seeing life and they want to be in the driver's seat and they want to create an amazing experience for themselves, their families, their communities, when they come together, amazing stuff happens. Mm. and I wanted to create a space for that so that's essentially what elite baselines is and then is that what you asked me yeah 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 was there something else (laughs) yes did I answer it Um, no you did that was perfect it just it got me thinking about and I suppose the importance of kind of going to what we were saying with the quick fix like this is laying the foundation for you to then you know instead of going straight from well, not even A to like, you know, Q. It's yeah. like we, we, it's these incremental steps. It's laying the foundation. And, you know, funnily, it got me to thinking about what we were speaking about yesterday in person about the gut mm. and kind of like resetting the gut and like, you know what I mean? Like laying that foundation to exactly. them. Yeah. For optimal health. And yeah. Well, it's actually such a great analogy because we were talking yesterday about how everyone's out there like, take a probiotic and yeah. eat all the fermented veggies. and yeah. It's like, but if you don't have a good foundation and you're dealing with an environment that has SIBO, leaky gut, yeah. you know, yeah. all of these things, you can put as much sauerkraut in as you like, but it's essentially not doing anything. No. So if you don't have a solid foundation, and again, this comes back to the long game, Mm. most people are not in it for the long game they want the six-week course that's going to revolutionize their business and their income they want the two-week weight loss blah 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 they want four weeks to a big booty you know they always want the thing that is the biggest result in the least amount of time and I get that that makes sense from like a a resources perspective of like how much of yourself you're going to give to something. It also, Mm -hmm. what we know is that with big change like that, anytime you're like doing acute change where it's like heaps of change in a short period of time, we know that there is acute adaptation very quickly 
with incredibly steep drop off. Yes. So what we know is that when people set a New Year's resolution, 85% of those people have stopped doing Mm -hmm. everything by midway through January. Mm. Because when it's not sustainable, when it's not incremental, when it's these big, huge changes in really short periods of time, we know that it's just not sustainable. And for people who have this desire for the short game, instant gratification, Mm. um, they get sucked in by it. And then the really sad thing that happens from that is that they develop these stories and identities about themselves that I'm someone who can't follow through. Mm. I'm someone who doesn't complete things. I can never stick to habits. And they're setting themselves up for just endless lack of success, like endless failed pursuits because the structure or the system that they're using to implement change and create adaptation is so flawed. Yeah, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Mm. It it literally Mm. doesn't work across the board Mm. unless you are a very specific person. And I would say if you are someone who has mastered a bunch of these habits, you can do big change and you'll probably stick with it because your how muscle, your will muscle will be strong enough to actually do it. Like if I decided tomorrow that I was going to implement a daily practice where I would stick with it, no doubt Mm. in my mind. Mm. But all of the the micro changes had to happen first. Yeah. To be a person who could do that. Yeah. And this is like where they talk about just thinking about habits, like starting small, so to speak, starting with something simple and then building and like stacking, you know? Yes. Mm. The smaller, the better. Yeah. So, and I think the thing that people forget about this is that there's a really big difference between having an ultimate, unrealistic shoot for the stars vision for your life and sustainable practices for building habits to get you there. They're not the same thing. So when you're building a habit, you're saying it has to be realistic. I have to know that I can achieve it. And I have to have an easy implementation process to get there. Mm -hmm. And people are like, well, that doesn't sound like it's going to do much. Well, it does when it compounds over time and you continue to grow and increase the stimulus, then you're going to end up with a long-term effect. And so um, in James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, he always talks about if you increase the efficacy and efficiency of your habit by 1% every day, by the end of the year, you have a compound effect of a 38% increase Mm. in the efficiency of that thing. Yeah. And so when you think about it that way, if I did a year of something, would I like a 38% improvement or would I like a 75% improvement in 30 days and then a steep drop off to zero? Yeah. So, you know, it's like the, it works. People who are driven by instant gratification always go the big, loud, let's do it huge. Mm -hmm. And those that have endurance who will have genuine success would rather see minimal improvement early because they're in it for the long game. Yeah. And we know that it works. Like we yeah. know that it works. We know that that's, that's actually the path. It's like daily micro incremental yeah. moments. One foot in front of the other. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Um, I would love to know what your version of holistic success is. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of what I was outlining before, which is that, there are many elements of my life that are high performing. Mm -hmm. So I want to be wonderfully healthy Mm -hmm. on the inside. I want to look that way on the outside. Like I want my internal health to be reflected on the outside. 
Um, and I have no shame in claiming like beauty and radiance are, are a goal. Yeah. So that's a huge thing for me. Um, so that internal health is like, I want to have, and I, I feel that I do have right now, brilliant mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to feel really mentally resilient and robust because inevitably big shit will hit the fan at some point and I want to be the person who can handle it mm-hmm. and I want to be able to be a rock in that process for my family. Yeah. So mental resilience and robustness, amazing internal health, as you know, all the gut things that I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> gut health really matters to me. Um, mm-hmm. I want to be someone who people would look at um, in terms of like my health habits and think, wow, that's really aspirational. Yeah. I want to be strong. I want to physically be very strong. I want to be fit. I want to have amazing aerobic fitness. Like that's my, that that's kind of the goal in terms of health. Um, my next value is family. I want to feel deeply connected to my children. I want to create an environment for them that is safe, regulated, supportive, loving, Mm -hmm. warm, that encourages challenge, that encourages risk, that encourages effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's huge. I want to have the most magnificent, phenomenal, intimate, connected relationship with my man, which I can honestly say I've hit the fucking jackpot with him. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, that's a huge element of my success. I want to do work that is meaningful, that matters to me. I want Mm -hmm. to do work that helps people live beautiful lives. Um, I want a sense of adventure and fun in my life. And I can say that probably in this season that's not right at the top of my list of priorities just with the age mm-hmm. of my children and stuff yeah but in the long term that would be a major marker of success mm-hmm. for me um i want to have an income that supports the lifestyle that we love living which is incredibly health orientated um yeah. and i want to spend a lot of time in nature outdoors i want to grow my own food mm. i want to be in the sunshine I want to be salty and sandy and sweaty <laughs> as much as humanly possible. Um, and I want to feel deeply, deeply connected to the few people that are the inner circle of my mm. life. I have no big desire to be constantly surrounded by people. Um, yeah. I really like cultivating just a few relationships and and truly with the other things that I, I care about the most, That's that's what's that's what's left. And that what, that's what feels truly nourishing is like three to five friends that are super close that are just yeah. like my people, you know? Yeah. So I guess mm. that's my version of success. That's what oh. it looks like. And I would say I live pretty close to it right now. Um, probably the yeah. thing that's lacking that I don't feel there's a huge drive for is the sense of adventure. Mm. Um, purely because traveling internationally with kids sounds like my idea of hell. So <laughs> <laughs> might just wait on that. <laughs> And just so, give them five years with multiple children. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like man. we traveled. We, yeah. we went to South Africa when my eldest was eighteen months old. Oh god, that was an, that's an awful age to be on it's a plane awful. that long because they can't yeah. sit still. They're not necessarily going to want to watch it. Well, he definitely didn't want to watch anything. No. It's just, I mean, honestly, like the amount of steps around the plane like and it's just not a fun time for anyone I was having a very similar conversation with another friend the other day she's like you know like we really want to go skiing in Canada but honestly the idea of having my three children on the plane 
a hard no. So she's like, maybe New Zealand because it's only three hours away. <laughs> oh, I'm like maximum two hour car trip. That's like, that's all oh, I've got in me. Yeah, we've and avoided road trips like the plague for sure. Well, we did the five day road trip. Oh, yeah. From Perth to Queensland. And now I just will not do that. No. Bad. And yeah. I'm, <laughs> I've said to Rory, I would rather wait until my youngest is five, yeah. fly my mum up here, get her to be here for a week yeah. and be with my children and just go with Rory and I yeah. like, until they're significantly okay. older where they can like really Do enjoy that. it and experience yeah. I am not down. Yeah. Like it does not call me at yeah. all. <laughs> And I feel like this is like everything comes back to the long game, but it's true. And it's like, you know, it's actually okay because obviously we see a lot of like, you know, we see people traveling with their kids and different things. And Mm. I'm not saying that it's not possible because it definitely For some people they can do it. I am not that person that can deal with that much chaos. Yeah, agreed. Um, (laughs) But I think it's like, it's this is goes back to the season and the acceptance around that it's and and also knowing that like just because I'm not doing those things in my 30s and maybe I'll do them in my 40s like that's okay you know totally yeah life doesn't end when you hit 40 like I am fucking pumped I know you have children yeah well I'm really happy I had kids quite young Mm. and so you know my kids are going to be like 15 when I'm 40 Wow. Yeah. So I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm absolutely pumped. I just, I think that's amazing. Like I can't wait. Mm. I can't wait to have deep relationships with my kids then. I can't wait to take them on trips and do those things. But right now at this moment, it sounds horrible. And also just, you know, like, mm, I mean, this is a whole other conversation about aging, which I hadn't intended on getting into. But like, you know, we... And I think this is, you know, because there is something to be said about, you know, kind of, I don't know, jumping into things or, you know, using the good mm. china or, you know, like this yes. is it and we never, we never know how long we have, which is very true and relevant. Um, but there, are, oh, like when I look back on my 20s, I'm thrilled to be where I am. I love being the age that I am and I know yeah. there will be more wisdom and more acceptance and more experience the older I get. Yeah. Um, and just to embrace that. Totally. Yeah. I had this conversation with Rory just a couple of weeks ago, my man. We were talking about the the kind of the theory. Everyone's like, live like it's your last day. And like, if this yeah. was your last day on earth, what would you do? And I like it to a degree. And it's also really unsustainable. Like mm. it, it, no yeah. one can bring that energy <laughs> every day. All the time. Yeah. And I think that there are seeds that you need to plant for the long game. And then there's like, Yes. Can you do things like bringing out the good china? Can you, you know, can you eat off the fancy handmade pottery (laughs) plates? Can you, yeah. Can you wear the beautiful dress? Like those things that you're saving, they don't need to be saved. No. But of course you can't bring last day on earth energy to your life every day. Um, I think especially with kids who need consistency and routine and you know all of those things so there's like a really practical element to that um and aging is actually such a thing I like I am fascinated by aging I'm fascinated Mm. by longevity it's like a real thing and will be in my bonnet at the moment yeah um but I think it's just really interesting because I think with age you get this different perspective Mm. you just you get perspective Mm -hmm. on what it means 
on a, your relationship to the bigness of your life. And I think in your 20s, you're not thinking about the future because oh. you're thinking about what's right in front of you. And yes. not that I want to bring everything back to the brain, but like your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until you're 25. Mm-hmm. And so I think of like who I was when I was 20, 21, 22, 23, um, you don't have full perception. You don't have right. full awareness. You don't have the ability to like quantify age and future and, mm-hmm. and all of those things. Like that really doesn't come until you're older. And it's, it's the beauty and the wisdom of like every single age has its gift. Mm. And I really think your thirties are this, it's, uh, I was looking at these statistics Uh, Rory sent them to me actually. And it was about this point in your life that is so integral to your entire future. And it's actually your thirties because he's like, and the, the, this graph showed all of these statistics kind of lined up. And it was about the fact that your kids are young, Mm -hmm. your resources are the lowest. You have the, Mm -hmm. if you're at the peak of your career in terms of like output, of what you yeah. can give output wise. Um, you're at the peak of performance in terms of your career during that time as well. And you need the most resources. You have the lowest amount of time. Your kids need mm. you the most, but yeah, you also need to be working to be able to fund all of those things. Mm. And it's this real tension point. It's like the culmination of this tension point between the life that you want to live and the setup required to live it yeah. and the demand on your on your resources. And so the most difficult age was like, it was like between 33 and 42 or something like that. Okay. Because that there's seems, just such a demand. On. <laughs> it seems right. Hey, because yeah. you're, yeah. and Rory said before he showed me the graph, he's like, when do you think people are the happiest in their life? And I said, hundred percent fifties and sixties mm. because you've stopped giving a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you also know what I think you really know what is like deeply important. You know what's important. You yeah. have perspective. You know yes. all the things you wasted your time on. You you're not obsessed about like your physical appearance anymore. Um mm-hmm. you might have pride in it, you might care, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. But you're not obsessed with maintaining this like appearance of youth. You're not obsessed mm-hmm. with, you know, all of these things that took your attention. You're you're not you know, fighting for resources against, you know, your significant mm-hmm. other and your family. And like, yes. you have all of the things that you've been cre- trying to create, which is an abundance of time, mm. passions and projects that fuel you, relationships that deeply matter, um, yeah. and hopefully vibrancy and health. Mm. And you kind of land in a place where that's actually possible. Mm. I just think it's so tricky you know, I, I hear people saying all the time, oh, like these are the years you wish for. These are the years you'll want back these times when they're little. And I think it's really easy to say that mm. when you have the perspective and the space that you don't have right now. Yes. And I, I do think there's truth to it. And I also think when you're someone who's super spacious, you think I would give anything to go back and have that. Mm like the yeah. chaos and yeah. the cuddles yeah. and the snuggles yeah. and the mess and the smushes. Yeah. And you would give anything to go back. And I think when you're in it, you would give anything for that spaciousness. And it's just hindsight, mm. it's perspective. And, yeah, I don't know. I just think there's magic in both. Definitely, definitely. Bring on, bring on the 50s and 60s. I know. I'm, um, like, actually yeah. genuinely pumped for my 50s. <laughs> Same. 
in my spacious era. (laughs) Yeah. And like, even, you know, and I think this is the thing, you know, my husband turned 40 this year and it's like, to me, I feel like he hasn't aged at all. He's t- and what does totally. it even? You know what I mean? Like, what does it mean? <laughs> age is but a number. It's true. Like, you know, because totally. yeah. Except that we see like a lot of our friends, you know, children now getting their licenses and doing these things, and we're like, wait, but we haven't aged at all. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> still eighteen. <laughs> no, I definitely don't want to be again. Definitely don't want to be eighteen again. But yeah, and I suppose we do, there's a lot of fear around aging and all these kinds of things, which is why it's so important to set up these foundations, you know, for our health and for yep. all of those things that we ultimately want. As well, said, I want health span, you know, yes. I want health span, not lifespan. Yes, not life I mean, span. I, want that, I want that too. But yes, that too, yep. <laughs> I'm like, don't knock me off my perch tomorrow. Well, more but... important is health span. Absolutely. I mean, death has been a really big conversation um, in our house mm. recently, actually, Um a friend of mine passed last year and we didn't know she was unwell Mm. and she left two little kids behind and it all came as a massive shock to her friends. Um, She lives in my hometown. I obviously live far away, so I wasn't, you know, and I was talking to her that whole time. She never mentioned a single thing and it was just this hugely perspective shifting thing for me where I just thought, like, we really what's the word? Like we really take for granted that we will always feel this way Mm. and that it will never be different. And that if there comes a point where we need to become healthier, well, then we'll do it. And I'm like, Mm. that's when it's too late. Yes. Like when you've gotten to a point where it's hitting you in the face because you haven't looked after yourself, Mm -hmm. it's too late then. And I just, she actually, it really inspired me to, I guess, really optimize. I've always been a health-minded person, but to like really optimize my health because Mm. I want my experience of life and my kids' experience of me to be one where I'm really exemplifying what it is to take control of your life in the ways Mm. that you can because it's unpredictable. Yes. in the ways that you can, that you're completely in control of. Like, and this is why I've become like intolerant to people who will not prioritize their health. Mm. Um, it's the one thing you're super in control of most of the time in most contexts, yeah. of course, there are things that are going to happen that can happen that you're not in control of. Um, but we've been talking, yeah, a lot about death where I'm like, wow, <laughs> it's just, I think when you're so close to it, mm-hmm. not in terms of age, but like people around you, like yes. a friend of mine has passed and she's in her thirties. Like it's yes. fucking insanity to me. Mm-hmm. I think just being really touched by death in that way. I, it really, really opened my eyes to like how precious and precarious our physical bodies are. Mm-hmm. And that quote in the podcast that you sent me, like, oh my God, I I literally made that sound. I was like, oh my God. When I heard the quote, which was, we work our bodies rigorously so that they don't become disobedient to the mind. Yeah. That Seneca quote. And I loved it. All discipline starts in the physical body. Like Mm -hmm. all discipline starts as physical discipline. And it just, 
it really reminded me of that, like this closeness to death reminded me of how in control of your physical body you are. Yes. And that that is the greatest gift you can give other people Mm. is to be robust. It's the greatest gift you could give yourself. Be robust, be healthy, be like really fucking own that for yourself. I mean, when people say like, oh, I just don't really like cooking though, or, oh, it's just really hard to prioritize exercise. I'm like, you know what's harder? Yeah. Death. Yeah. Or, <laughs> you yes. know, chronic pain or chronic disease or all of the things. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, or you get to 90 and you've not lived for 40 years. Mm. You know, yeah. maybe your lifespan is exponent. I just think if I'm going to be here for a long time, I want to feel good while I'm doing it. Like, I'm not in control of how long I'm here for. No. But there's things that are going to make it more enjoyable while I'm here. Yes. And, and things that we know will ultimately probably ensure that you're here for a long time. Exactly. And at the end, they're so connected, they're inextricably, inextricably linked, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, we've um, not, not in the same age, although I do have a really good friend who's um, yeah struggling with stage four cancer and she's quite young, but my nanny recently passed away and it was mm-hmm. one of, so it was like kind of the first brush with death in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, our matriarch and all of those things. I have a, like yeah. a family of mostly women. So, um, mm-hmm. yes, it was very significant for us and, you know, and same for my kids, it just opened my eyes so much to the whole process. Cause I think I've been someone who's been quite, quite cagey. And I suppose this comes back mm-hmm. to like, I was going to make this point earlier as well, cause it felt relevant, but it's like, we act as if we're not going to die, even though it's a one thing we know is an absolute like certainty. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. It's the only guarantee. Yes. And one of my, (laughs) one of our family friends was speaking at my nanny's funeral and was just talking about like, this isn't necessarily to do with health, but, um, you know, talking about a a particular career, she wanted to be an archeologist, but at the time wasn't allowed to study it at university, Mm -hmm. just being a woman. And then obviously, you know, in that generation, you're having children young and that's your life. And that was her life. Um, and I just thought to myself, like, and I want to acknowledge my privilege here as well, but I have the opportunity to do pretty much anything I want. Why would I not try and do everything I want to do? I couldn't agree more. (laughs) I'm like, I am so lucky. Yeah. Like so lucky. I could be pursuing Mm. anything I want, doing anything and so I do, and I will. Yeah. yeah. But I just think, you know, and you let's also come back to, you know, everything that we've been talking about. It's like, yes, and that gives you a rocket up your ass to go and do something. Mm-hmm. And there's also like structures and systems that you can implement yes. that make that sustainable. Because, yeah. and, you know, this is what people do when they listen to a motivational speech or they see a little piece of inspo on Instagram. It gives them. Mm-hmm that little dopamine hit, which is a neurotransmitter that Mm -hmm. happens in anticipation of reward. Mm. And so they get this little dopamine hit because they think I'm going to experience that because they see a 90 second reel that looks inspiring. Then Mm. then they start and they don't get the reward and then they don't do it. And so the motivation and those big moments in our lives where, you know, you go through a process of, yeah, being very up close and personal with death. Mm-hmm. and you get perspective and it reminds you of the importance of certain things and mm-hmm. it inspires you to go and take charge of, you know, X, Y, and Z. Mm. 
I mean, it's like, how do you approach that in a way that's actually going to truly leave a lasting imprint on my life instead of these quick dopamine hit approaches to, I'm going to commit to, you know, whatever it is, this 30 day thing or this 20 and then it's going to change my life. It's like, no, no. What's the lifelong game? Mm. And what is the point that you would reach where you would decide that that's enough or it's too hard and you'd give up? Because almost yeah. everyone is like, oh, well, if I did it for 30 days and didn't get a result, then I'd stop. Everyone yeah. has that. I'm like, I have a finite number of days where I would be healthy. Yeah. Nothing would make me stop. And until you mm. get to that point, don't stop. Mm. Like that, that's when you know it's anchored, you know? Mm-hmm. I think so often it's like we give it these tiny little snippets of time and we don't see these instant results. And then we go, oh, well, you know, that death is in the rear view mirror. So yeah, not a big driver at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I guess mm. it's probably indicative of the patterns that we're seeing collectively. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, I want to wrap up quickly, but I wanted to kind of bring it home with um, a little bit of a little bit of chat about food, which I know you mentioned Ooh, yeah. earlier. Yeah, it's my favorite topic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I know you mentioned earlier that you kind of have gone through a bit of a protocol and, yeah, there were some things that were going on there. So I would love to know maybe a little bit about like what your relationship with food was previous to doing that and kind of what initiated the shift. Yeah. So aside from possibly a shaky relationship with food in my late teens, early twenties, largely due to, uh, pressure to perform in a particular way through my sport. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the only time I haven't had an amazing relationship with food and nourishment. Like I've always yeah. been someone who has nourished myself really well. Um, you know, I was the 21 year old who would go to the whole food store and pick up a random ingredient and be like, Ooh, I wonder how I, what I do with this. And I'm going to create a whole recipe around this one random thing. Um, so I was always really driven by food. I love food. I've, you know, just farming culture. It's just been always been a really big part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I had my twins and I, and, and honestly, like to be completely frank, we were broke. (laughs) Yeah. So our food was like, whatever you can Mm. get in basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I had a a big kind of growth period with my business. Things became a lot more easy to navigate in terms of finances and what we could invest in. So the food became Mm. a lot more robust and beautiful and vibrant and um, incredible, which was um, fresh and amazing, which is awesome. And then I had my youngest Mm. and I honestly just felt so full. Like my life was so full with Mm. a little tiny baby, four-year-old twins. They were, it was during the big global shenanigans. So they were at home all the time. It was two, four, seven, three, six, five. And I was just like, it's too fucking hard. Yeah to get in my kitchen and make myself a separate meal Mm. or to make something, you know, huge and nourishing for my whole family. And so I basically ended up de-optimizing and building habits in reverse where I 
was it was too busy in the mornings. So they started school. It was too busy in the mornings to have brekkie. So, oh, well, I'll just wait till they get home until uh, mm. I've, I've gotten yeah. home from dropping them at yeah. school. And then it was, oh, it's time for her nap. I'll just feed her and put her down and then I'll have food after that. And then it was, oh, I got to get on a work call. I'll mm. eat after that. And mm. sometimes before I knew it, it was 12 o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon and I hadn't eaten. Maiden. Yeah. And then it was quick, what food have I got that I can eat because I'm starving yeah. and I'm going to kill someone because <laughs> I'm hangry. And then it was a really beautiful, healthy, nourishing dinner. Yeah. And so essentially I built these habits built around family logistics mm. where it wasn't a focus because sleep and feeds and nourishment and schedules yeah. and drop-offs and pickups became just this over all over consuming thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the impetus was <laughs> like every good decision. Fucking hell. I need to make a change. This isn't yeah. working. So yeah. it was essentially coming back full circle to our, to our first conversation, which was it just stopped working. Um, mm. I did not feel it was actually my mental health that was probably mm. the catalyst. Um, mm. I wasn't feeling as mentally resilient, robust, and capable as I normally would. I was finding myself waking up in the mornings feeling low and flat mm. um, and just a little bit apathetic towards life. Yeah. Uh, it was incredibly uncharacteristic. It is not a feeling I relate to well at all. I was like, what is this? This is so weird. Why do I feel this way? Mm. And obviously we know why I felt that way. Um, because the, the cost of not nourishing myself, especially in that season of my life was that it had a hormonal effect, which had, you know, when you're not getting that progesterone surge, you're not getting those feel good kind of chemical releases and it's affecting everything. So essentially the low food intake meant hormonal imbalances, which meant mental health um, was kind of taking the brunt of it. And so they were the main drivers Mm -hmm. uh, that led to needing a change. And it was a really interesting shame spiral for me because I obviously knew better. And so it was really about, okay, look, I can feel ashamed or I can get help. I can be kicking myself because I haven't sorted it sooner or I can reach out to experts to just give me the tools so that I don't have to add the mental burden of trying to figure it out myself Um, and I can get help. And so that's when I also had some, some tummy stuff going on where I was like, it's just things aren't feeling good in there. Um, I've got digestive discomfort pretty much all the time. What's going on? So I started working with a nutritionist. Um, I obviously did the rise and thrive program with Alice Nichols, which is, you know, she's Mm -hmm. just a ledge. I know you did that too, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yep. Um, which was really just about in the changing my breakfast. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's so simple. And then it can, this is the thing about the small kind of change or the small habit. Just one thing can kind of then. Just one thing. Which is exactly mm. why I was driven to. That's why I felt compelled to join because it wasn't like we're going to overhaul your diet and change everything. Yeah. It was like no. we're actually just going to get you to nail your brekkie. And yeah. I was like, you know what? I feel like a lot of problems will probably cease to exist when I alter my breakfast. Yeah. So essentially, 
I was like, if I can prioritize one thing Mm. and wait for an adaptation and then change another thing, I'm going to do that. So that was basically my process. So started incorporating a really amazing high protein brekkie, which meant that I started getting the right hunger cues and satiation was more managed, which meant that I was getting Mm. hungry earlier. So then my next meal would be pulled forward. And then Mm. I was having like a snack in the afternoon and then I was having a big nourishing brekkie and all of a sudden Mm. things really started to shift. And so after about three weeks of doing that, um, I found that I was waking up feeling different. Yeah. And that was the reward that I got for the change. And then the next thing started. So once I'd made that adaptation, I was like, cool, this is a habit now. Like I'm committed. It's brekkie. It's every day. Um, That's when I went and did all my pathology. And then I made some hormonal changes. And essentially it all just kind of snowballed from there. Um, Obviously, you know, I was, I had a parasite. So doing a big gut protocol for that. Um, And just a lot of improvements along the way, like really amazing incremental improvements that I could see, Mm. that I could feel, that I was experiencing. And I was like, if this isn't the reward that you need to keep going at this forever, Mm. I don't know what is. Um, Yes. Which then also, uh, I studied as a naturopath uh, in my early 20s, never practiced, just did it out of pure passion and interest. Um, But I've forgotten pretty much everything. So I was like, oh, I really want to go back down this path. So I actually started studying functional nutrition on top of that. Again, no desire to actually practice as a nutritionist, but just amazing for schools. (laughs) Totally. And also just the relationship between the gut and the brain. I mean, I'm obsessed with the brain, obviously, hence the applied neuroscience, but the gut brain connection is just, yes, you know, the deep love of mine. (laughs) Well, I've read um, Mind Gut Connection, and I think it's food, food. Oh, God, I think it's actually right in front of me. The food mood connection. That's another good oh, one that specifically it's speaks so about good. depression, OCD, anxiety, ADHD. Yeah. 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 <sighs> yep. yes. So I'm not surprised yeah. by any of that. Yeah. But yeah, no. it's just, it's been phenomenal, the whole thing. And I just and then think. And it filters into all of those other things everything. that are really important. Exactly. Yes. So I love that so much. So my last question, which is one I ask everyone, and it's just a little bit of fun. Okay. Is, um, if you could only eat one meal oh, for God. the rest of your life. I know it's hard, but what would Why it would be? do that to me? <laughs> it's been, it's trumped a few people. Nostalgia seems to be the way most people go, but I'm very oh, interested to know what yours is. I'm going to be so basic, bitch. Like I'd go, I love it. I'd go something like a roast chicken. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like I'd want a roast. I'm definitely a roast. Yeah. <laughs> I want a roast. Because this is mine. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'd go a roast. I'm like, I'm thinking about the new nutritional components. Like, could I live off that forever? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also thinking about taste. And then I was like, yeah, I could make a broth with that. Yes. And then, yeah, you know, like I feel like it could really. Goes the distance. It goes the distance. See, long game. The long. I'm here for the long, long game. game. <laughs> I'm thinking long term here. Roast chicken. <laughs> I think I'd do a roast chicken. Just- Recipes for roast chicken and broth coming soon. Um, yeah, I love that. Exactly. I love that so much. It's so perfect. Yeah. It's Thank really, you um... so much for this. This has been just everything I thought it would be and more. And um, I'm really pleasure. excited for people to listen to this. So thank, thank you for you so giving much. me your time. Thank you for the amazing questions. Oh, you're so welcome. So great. Thank you. Isn't Brit something? 
If you would like to explore some of the topics we covered today and look into Brit's work, you can find her on Instagram, I am Brittany Wild, or over on The Elite Mind Co. Or you can simply visit her website, BrittanyWild.com. And of course, you can find all of these links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Nourish Woman. I hope something in this conversation resonated with you. And if so, please share it with a friend. You can hit follow or write a review or simply share on social media. It would be amazing. Thank you so much again for listening. Until next time, take care of yourself.